have often spoken about my relationship with my mother, about my mother, and about the role I have played in the care of my mother toward the end of her life as she struggled with dementia, stroke, and congestive heart failure. After a recent and significant internal bleed, my mother suffered a series of small strokes and a heart attack. The medical community was quick to want to intervene with specialists and medications, and I get that. I also got my mother. I listened to what she was saying without even saying it. She was done. Her body was failing. She fought the good fight for very long. She desired peace, tranquility. I heard that message loud and clear and shared that message even louder and even clearer as the caring ER team started to make plans for my mom's transport to a higher level hospital. It's a hell of a thing to be in two worlds at once. On the one hand, I had just put a stop to all interventions, medications, procedures, and told them that there was only one dignified route, comfort. And on the other hand, as I heard myself say what I said, I knew that I had made the decision that would, over time, end my mother's life. My mother, Toby Goldfinger, lived her final days in hospice at home in the Florida Keys. Her hospital bed and her bedroom looked out at the sunshine. Wildlife. And the Bay of the Gulf of Mexico. She was often visited by friends. In those final 11 days, and she was surrounded by her core family, as she left this universe and transitioned on to the next one. For the next few or perhaps several episodes, I will be sharing all parts of me as I move through the world as a motherless daughter. Today, I share the eulogy that I spoke at her funeral. This may seem strange, but I've been imagining this moment for years, picturing myself standing here where I've witnessed so many friends stand before me, sharing their love and loss of parents, grandparents, and even their children. For years, I found peace in that vision, that peace coming from the truth, that grief and love can coexist within the context of pain and sorrow. For me, the last several years have been woven with threads of a very long goodbye. To me, my mother was brilliance, independence, generosity, saber-wielding, cut-you-off-at-your-knees, laser-focused truth, and vertical presence. As a small child, I had to look up to my mom. And as an adult, a short adult, I still had to look up to my mom, and I also chose to. When I think of my mom, I go to the times when I experience the woman I will call Joyful Toby. Join me as I walk home, Joyful Toby. 
It's a Sunday morning in the early 70s. In fact, it's every Sunday morning in the early 70s. Every Sunday morning, my mom would talk to her sister, Dorothy, in New Jersey. Here's a bit of our nation's history for the kids. On Sundays, the telephone company, and there was only one telephone company, discounted their long-distance rates. With Joyful Toby as my role model, I learned so much about sisterhood and relationships and connection and heartbreak and loyalty and love on those Sunday mornings. I heard only one side of questions or responses or delight or empathy or compassion, but hearing just Joyful Toby's side was everything for me. My mom was happy, smiling, her blue eyes sparkling beautifully. And it was at the same time that in a building on the grounds of Park Synagogue in Cleveland, Ohio, I learned the Shema and specifically the part about you shall teach your children and they shall teach their children. I was seven. I was a child. And hold on. Someone just taught me something that I would teach my children. My children? It was at this moment in a hallway at Sunday school, I learned that it was my responsibility to be a mother, and I may as well get a jump on that game. I decided to study my mother so I would be prepared when I had to teach my children so they could teach their children. Here's what I learned back then. There is much adventure and an equal amount of heartache that comes from moving away from family. I should be a proud Jew and also push back on the traditions that make women and girls small. Read. Read everything. Read even more because you just might find the roadmap to your next adventure. Go on the adventure. Send your kids to overnight camp. Send your youngest kid to overnight camp once she's potty trained. Fudge her birth date to get her in. Clothes can be inexpensive, but shoes must be the highest quality. The best way to build a social network is to host parties with kegs of Genesee beer. Look at your home through the perspective of a sledgehammer. Knock down walls. Build new rooms. The box is a limit. A sledgehammer is a tool of possibility. Designer jeans are for stupid girls. Apparently, I wanted to be a stupid girl, but I couldn't get my thighs into designer jeans. So, by default, I was a smart girl. Girls that are interested in boys are stupid girls. There's more evidence of my puerile mind. And this, at camp, when they hold up the towels at Lost and Found, and nobody claims that towel, claim the towel. This isn't stealing. It's called opportunity. Over the past few weeks, the time with my mother was more pale, colorless, and dreamy. What I've noticed and perhaps started to learn is this. Many times I've been furious at my parents for aging. Letting go of self-chatter, resistance, concerns, opens up a connection to those in their final stages of life. The process of dying is mysterious if met with fear and obvious if met with an open heart and deep listening presence. 
My mom trusted me to be a fierce warrior for her life and a compassionate advocate for the end of her life. And finally, I learned something that perhaps only I had the privilege of knowing. My mom, who many times over had been called a tough broad, was actually a soft, connected, open, kind, complex human who could be vulnerable at the four-way intersection of motherhood, daughterhood, loyalty, and love. And the streets at that intersection are streets that are paved in gold. <laughs>